Uh, Pastor uh, Jeff has uh, thanked everybody under the, the sun, and uh, you know what, I, I feel like we need to thank Pastor Jeff for all the work that went on for this. And, uh, and just personally, thanks again, bro. Uh, if I talk too much, I'll cry. So, okay. Uh, but it, it just, it is a thrill to my soul to just be able to join our hearts together. Uh, I just uh, appreciate uh, what Pastor Jeff has led this church to be. In recent years, and uh, it's uh, it blesses it blesses my soul. Okay, so last night we uh, began our descent, as it were, uh, on this conference. Uh, as I was uh, in Atlanta preparing for uh, this conference, you know the way that you kind of do it kind of anticipate where you might be in the week and you know what might need to be said at that time and I, I felt like you know especially with uh, Pastor Brett and Pastor Allen uh, Pastor Jeff on Sunday morning what I would be saying on the first two nights I felt like last night we might need to just start making sure that we're grabbing a hold of the things that I feel like we need to get a hold of you know there's just so much information and you can get on information overload and kind of walk away and go that was awesome I don't know what in the world I learned but it was awesome <laughs> and so I, I you know this is this is just the basic uh, stuff that we're we're talking about last night and and tonight uh, I know that I, I got the title when I was here, the King of Review, and uh, so I will certainly attempt not to do that, but I would like for us to get a, a running start with what we began last night as we talked about the top seven reasons that we're not crazy for having a King James Version only position. And the first thing that we talked about is because of the Bible's certainty that the words of truth are somewhere on this planet. And I know when we read that statement, it just seems like the biggest no-brainer ever. But I hope with what we talked about last night, you understand why this is such a key point and why it is not a no-brainer. The, the theme verse for this conference is Proverbs 22 and, and verse 21. And, and what, what this verse tells us is that the words of truth. Okay, that, that little S on there changes everything. <laughs> Not the word of truth. That's a little nebulous. But when he says that we might know the words of truth and have certainty in those words and we could go on with the zillion cross references that you've heard this week that we're supposed to live according to Jesus by those words and so the point is those words must be somewhere 
and we do believe that they are somewhere on this planet, and it, it is an amazing phenomenon that the best I can tell, we are the only ones that actually believe that we can have the certainty of the words of truth and that we can know them. And what we got into last night was that mainstream Christianity says that the words of truth are in the original manuscripts. And what we talked about last night is that the original manuscripts do not exist. <laughs> and so if we believe the words of God are in the original manuscripts and they don't exist, then we really don't believe that we have the certainty of the words of truth. Okay, so that was that the first reason. The second reason that we're not crazy for holding this position is because we believe God's final authority is a book, not a man. And in the, the churches that we talked about last night, we, you know, not trying to pick a fight with anybody or anything like that, but we did talk about some pretty popular mainstream uh, pastors and churches. We looked at their doctrinal statements, and those are just representative of virtually, I, I don't even know what a percentage to put on it, but virtually all conservative, evangelical, whatever you want to call people who actually do open a Bible and believe by salvation by grace through faith, I, I can assure you that if you were to go to those churches and you, you went for a year, I would guarantee you there is going to be some time in that year that the pastor is going to get very emphatic. Many of them are very sincere. But they're going to get very emphatic and they will, they'll grab that Bible like, like we've done this week. They'll grab that Bible, they'll be pointing to it, and they will say, listen, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We believe it is infallible. We believe that it is inerrant. And this is what we use in this church in all matters of faith and practice. And he won't tell you the other part of that that's actually in the doctrinal statement is in the original manuscripts. If you were to walk up to him after the service and say, I, I noticed that strong stand that you had on the Word of God, and I saw that you had a Bible in your hand and you were pointing at it as you were emphatically giving us that truth, were you actually talking about that one you were holding? Were you actually talking about the one you were pointing to? You know what he's going to say? Well, n not really. Uh, because, you know, the words of God are actually in the original manuscripts. And, uh, and, and what we have here is, I, I believe this is a trustworthy translation. 
I, I believe it's a, a reliable translation. But it's not the words. And, and if you were to listen to these people when they preach, they will make continual references as they are seeking to exposit the word. They will make continual references to the original manuscripts. And the word here in the original is this. And, and he'll parse that word and, and give us what we can't see in, in our Bible about that particular word. But, and this takes us back to point number one, if those original manuscripts don't exist and you are telling us what this word is in the original manuscripts, this is not the final authority, nor is the original manuscripts since they don't exist. The pastor, a man, becomes the final authority of the words of truth to tell us where they are and what they are. And, and, and that's a key thing, I think, that we need to make sure that we take away from here to let us know that we're not crazy. We believe, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, it's, you know, I... I I am a part of the Living Faith Fellowship. I, I, I'm certainly not a spokesman for the Living Faith Fellowship, but I do believe that I speak for all pastors in the Living Faith Fellowship when I say that when we come to a place like Proverbs 30 and verse 5 that tells us that every word of God is pure, Okay, when we declare that from this pulpit or our pulpits in the Living Faith Fellowship on a Sunday morning, while we're holding a Bible in our hands and passionately pointing to it, listen, we're not talking about believing every word of God is pure in the original manuscripts. We're talking about the Bible we're holding in our hands, and we're talking about the one we're pointing to. And, and that's one of the things, just one of the things that I love about the Living Faith Fellowship is that we, we are a group of pastors and churches that believe that the power of the Word of God is actually in the words of God. And so we believe that as expositors of the Word, our responsibility is to just keep our grubby little hands off of those words. We don't believe that our job is to correct what God said, change what God said, alter it, add to it, take away from it, or try to improve it because we believe it's impossible to improve upon perfection. We believe that our job as expositors is to expose from the text what God said, how he said it, when he said it, where he said it, why he said it, and to whom he said it. 
rather than to impose into the text our own sorry opinions, thoughts, ideas, or values. As pastors, we, we simply see ourselves as God's waiters. We don't see ourselves as the chef. We believe that our job is to bring the food of the Word of God out of God's kitchen to the table of God's people exactly as He prepared it in a timely manner and with all long-suffering. <laughs> we don't believe that our job is to be liked, appreciated, esteemed, admired, lauded, or applauded. We believe that our job is to take the written Word of God and preach it and magnify it and glorify it so that the name of the incarnate Word can be praised and magnified and glorified. As pastors, we don't believe that our job is to build the church. We believe that our job is to proclaim the truth and allow the Lord to transform first and foremost us, the pastors, and then the people to become the kind of people that God can use to build His church. And it's all because we believe that God's final authority is a book, not a man. Okay. And you know what? King of Review is back, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can't help myself. Okay. A third reason that we're not crazy for holding to a King James Version-only position. Number three, because everything we believe the apostles said was true about the incarnate word, we be believe to be true of the written word. Now, check this out, y'all. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, John is he's speaking here for all of the apostles, and that's why he uses in, in this verse, he uses the word we. He's talking about himself and the other apostles. And he says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And you'll notice in this verse, though he says you know, quite a few things there, but he references the beginning here, and, and notice the capital W word, okay? This verse, interestingly enough, 1 John chapter 1 is very close to John chapter 1 and verse 1, where in, in this verse, John said, in the beginning was the capital W word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And of course, we know that the Word that he's talking about here, we know who that is, right? It is the eternal Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same 
word, capital W, that he's talking about down in verse 14 that he says was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, just a little sidebar here for those of you that may be newer to the Bible. You know, there's an interesting thing in our King James Bible that when it's talking about Christ himself being the Word, it's always a capital W. Okay, when it's talking about the Word of God, as in the Bible, the written Word, it's always a small w. And so you can always figure out exactly where you are and what's, what's taking place. But let's go back now to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I I want you to notice what John says in this passage was true of the incarnate Word. Just look at the verses as I just call out a few very significant, important characteristics what John says of, of he and the other apostles, he says that their hands have handled of the word of life. And that the word of life was manifested to them. And that they had seen him and heard him. And, and to him they were able to Bear witness. Okay, now now let me just ask you something. Is there anybody listening to me that doubts that? Or thinks that John and the the other apostles were whack jobs for believing that? (laughs) Absolutely not. Because, listen, that was the purpose for the Word to be made flesh, all of those things that we've just highlighted there. And so, listen, listen doesn't, it, doesn't it just stand to reason in our minds that God intended for us to believe about the written Word the same exact things that we believe about the incarnate Word? I mean, didn't he intend for us, as Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16 talks about, the, here he, didn't he want us to view the written word as the same exact thing that he talked about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of life, but now rather than it being a capital W, it's a small w. And so what's it talking about? And didn't he intend for that word of life? Let's go back to the Philippians. Didn't didn't he? No, leave it there. My bad. Go go back to the, the first John. Didn't 
didn't God actually intend for the word of life to have been manifested so that we can hold it in our hands and we can see it? Anybody ever heard it? We can hear it and we can bear witness to it. I mean, does that make us any crazier for believing that about the written word than John and the apostles were for believing that about the incarnate word? And if they would have lived long enough without being butchered and martyred, if they would have lived long enough to see the written word completed, man, don't you think that they would have believed the same thing about the written word as they did the incarnate word? And what do you think they would have felt if they would have ever had the privilege that you and I have tonight if their hands could have handled this word of life? Because wasn't that the purpose for the written word? So that we could see it, hear it, bear witness to it, have it manifested, and handle it in our very own hands. I, I mean, are we, are we crazy all simply because we actually believe about the written word? what we believe about the incarnate word. But, but our belief in the capital W word and the small w word, actually, it goes deeper than that. Because we believe that we can just, we can go to the word of God and we can just run down the list of everything that we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he was and who he is. Some of the other pastors in the morning sessions have, have exhausted this. But l l listen, you know what we believe about Jesus Christ, y'all? We believe he is holy. We believe he's infallible. We believe he's perfect. We believe he's inerrant. We believe he's incorruptible. And we believe that this book that we're holding in our hands tonight is every one of those things. We believe it is holy. We believe it is infallible. We believe it is perfect. We believe it is inerrant. And we believe that it's incorruptible. And again, I'll tell you, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the least bit crazy. I, I believe what you call that is biblical. I believe what you call that is sound doctrine about what you believe about the Bible. And, and listen, uh, when I say Bible, again, I, remember, 
I'm not talking about a fictitious one. I'm not talking about something that exists in my imagination. We're, We're talking about the real, tangible Bible that you hold in your hand. And the reality is, when you... When you look at the words that the Word of God uses to refer to itself, the only ones who really believe that they have that kind of Bible are the King James Version only people. I, 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 I get it that people who aren't King James Version only people, like we saw last night in the doctrinal statements of you know, these mainstream churches and these places that are known for taking a strong stand on the Word of God, I I know that they use the same exact words that we refer to to our belief in the Scriptures, but it's kind of like, for them, it's kind of like them using all of these eloquent words to describe their fairy godmother. I mean, man, she really sounds nice, and she really sounds like a very special lady. But if she doesn't exist, what good are all of these descriptive words for her? But would you just check out the words that the Bible uses to describe itself? That, again, to the best of my knowledge, only we believe about the Bible. Proverbs 22, verse 21. This is, again, the theme verse. Okay, how about the word certainty? Where does someone go who doesn't hold our position? Where do they go to find the certainty of the words of truth? Because having a reliable translation or a reasonable facsimile of the original is a far cry from knowing the certainty of the words of truth. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, how about the word settled? It would certainly seem to me that if if what you're holding in your hand is really just a reliable rendering of the words of God, then it would be impossible to be settled about the words you're reading. Whereas we believe the very words of God that are settled in heaven are the very words that are settled in this book we hold in our hands On the earth. (laughs) How about the word perfect? Psalm 19, verse 7. Listen, people who don't hold our position have never seen a perfect Bible. They've never read one. They've never led a soul to Christ from one. They've never preached a message from a perfect Bible because, again, in, in their thinking, a perfect Bible doesn't exist. And we could go through a, a lot of other words. You can see I'm not going to take the time to make all of these same comments, but work with me. How about the word sure from Psalm 19 and verse 7? The word pure from Proverbs 30 and verse 5. 
from 1 Timothy. For those of you that are asleep, it's time to change the paper. <laughs> from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. Wholesome words. From 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. Sound words. From Titus 1 and verse 9. The faithful word. From 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the word known. From Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word powerful. From 1 Peter 1 verse 23, the word incorruptible. And 1 Peter 1 23, the words abideth. How long, y'all? Forever. Ever. And, and again, I, I, I say you can just go down the list, and, and, and do you understand? These are just some of the words. But we are the only ones who believe we can actually hold the book that describes itself as certain, settled, perfect, sure, pure, wholesome, sound, faithful, known, powerful, incorruptible, and abideth forever. And I ask you, do you think we are crazy for believing we actually have the kind of Bible the Word of God actually describes? <laughs> Is that crazy? Absolutely not. And then there's a fifth reason that we're not crazy for holding this position about the book that we hold in our hands. Number five, because of all of the biblical words associated with those who would seek to destroy a person's belief that they have in their possession the very word and words of God. Listen, y'all. <laughs> the same thing that's happening in the 21st century happened in the 1st century. And so we can go now, and we can see all of these words that God wants us to embrace about the book we hold in our hands but we can also go and we can see the descriptive words that he uses to describe people that are trying to take the certainty of those words from people and when you see these words man you'll know why why we're not the crazy ones in this story and, 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 and to get into this, let me, let me just say that it, it, I think it's both very interesting and very telling that the first time the devil shows up in the Bible, he's sitting in all of his pride underneath the tree of knowledge. And the record of history proves that he hasn't veered very far from that location ever since. As we talked about eons ago on Monday night, from under the tree of knowledge in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, he asked Eve the very first question that is ever asked in the Bible. And the question just happens to do with what God said, or the word of God, if you will. He says to her, yea, hath God said? 
And do notice, the question that he asked was a question to cast doubt upon the words she believed that she had received from the Lord. And in this whole dialogue in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, you know what he does? He strives with her about what were and weren't the words of God. And and those are some of the first words that begin to be associated with those who have a problem and come against people who have absolute confidence in what God said. The word pride, the word knowledge, help them. Hello? The word pride, the word knowledge, the word question, and strife of words. And and I don't know if you've ever seen the, the connection of this whole Genesis 3, 1 thing with what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any, anybody here believe you have those wholesome words? Even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, watch these words in verse 4 now. He is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy strife railings evil surmisings and i must say y'all it is amazing to me some of the things that christian people will think about you and say about you when you actually believe that you hold in your hands wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word. Paul said a similar thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, where he said, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Wow. And, you know, that's what I'd like to know, is what do Christian people gain by seeking to subvert people's confidence in the words that they believe that they hear from this book? Especially when it's so biblically associated with none other than Satan himself. (laughs) Really. And that's another word associated with these people is subverting. Two verses later in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, But shun profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. 
And in this case, those vain babblings that have increased in the, the last 50 years, boy, what, what those vain babblings that have increased in the last 50 years have done is eat up people's confidence in the words of God. And so we pick up another few words, vain babblings and eat as a canker, which is interestingly enough a, a sore in the in your mouth. <laughs> That's where the vain babblings proceed. And, and, and listen, there are certainly other places that we could look tonight, other words that we could pick up to get uh, associated with Christians, mind you, who destroy other believers' confidence in the final authority of the book that they're holding in their hands. But I, I think you get the idea. But before we get off of this point, let, let, let me just get you to consider this. Okay, we, we know from the record of biblical history to be looking for the enemy to attack the Word of God. And, and so, you know, here we are in the 21st century. I don't think anybody anywhere thinks that the devil died. Okay, so we would have to ask ourselves, okay, where are these attacks on the Word of God coming from today? You see, I mean, it's always been, but it just comes in different packages. Where, where are the attacks that the enemy is using on the Word of God today. I mean, is it, is it really the, the Christians that are talking about the Word of God using words like certainty, settled, pure, sure, and all the others, and, and trying to actually instill that confidence in people? Is that the attack? <laughs> or could it be Christians who find those of us who are certain and settled, sure, that we have the perfect and incorruptible words of God, and based on their position under the tree of knowledge and in their pride spend their time doting about questions striving about words and subverting the hearers you know y'all some things aren't real hard are they if if all we did was just compare the biblical words associated with our approach to the Bible compared to the biblical words associated with their approach to the Bible. Again, I say, someone wants to say that we're the crazy ones? And then let's talk about a sixth reason that we're not crazy for this position that we hold. And actually, I'm, I'm going to cover number six and number seven together. Uh, and, and I'm going to do it very briefly, believe it or not. <laughs> I guess I lied about the king of reviews, so maybe 
it won't be that brief, but I, I think it will. <laughs> uh, and I think we can cover them pretty quickly because, listen, they're, they're really, they're very simple. But I have no way to share with you the magnitude and the depth and the power of these last two points. The next two reasons we're not crazy for holding our position on the Word of God. Number six, because of what happened on this planet historically when the King James Bible was placed into the hands of the people. (laughs) And then number seven, because of what happened on this planet historically when the authority of the King James Bible began to be undermined. And you say, well, what did happen? Well, Jesus spelled it out for us in the last two of the seven letters that he spake under the inspiration of his own Holy Spirit, speaking to John to send these words to the church churches in Asia Minor. We, we talked uh, earlier this week about... The fact that these seven letters in the book of Revelation are representative of seven periods of church history. And there's a lot of things that we need to know about these last two periods. And that's why before you leave tonight, you need to go out in the foyer and get Greg Ack's book on church history. So you can learn about those things. But now for tonight, listen, one thing you certainly can't afford to miss is that these last two letters representing the last two periods of church history actually center around a door. A door. And in the Philadelphian church period, when the King James Bible got into the hands of the people, if you want to know what happened historically, here it is. The door to the gospel, ministry, missions, and revival flung open. And there's two syllables in flung. (laughs) It caused that door to fling (laughs) open. And, and, And listen, I want you to know, that that little event of the King James Bible getting into the hands of the common people, it produced the greatest preaching from the greatest preachers, the greatest missionary movements from the greatest missionaries, except for your pastor, who was one of the greatest missionaries in Albania. It produced the greatest revivals. It produced produced the greatest evangelistic efforts in the history of the church. And listen, y'all, it wasn't coincidental. There was a definite connection between this book and God's people falling in love with it and that 
open door because my brothers and sisters, as long as people believed this book and preached this book and loved this book, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 says that this book, and again, I am talking about the King James Bible, was the key of David in their hands. And it opened doors that no man can shut. And it closed doors that no man can open. And their confidence in this book and their love for this book opened the treasures of God to them. The treasures in His Word and the treasures in His work. But listen, when they lost their confidence in this book, and when they lost their love for this book, as we entered into the Laodicean period, and the authority of this book began to be questioned and undermined, you know what happened to the door, y'all? It slammed shut. And you will notice... In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, that that door that was so wide open in the Philadelphian church period is closed in the Laodicean church period. And in the Laodicean church period, while everybody's hooping it up on the inside, Jesus is knocking on the door on the outside. And in verses 15 and 16, while all of the Christians in the room think they're so hot, Jesus says, you're lukewarm, and it literally makes me want to hurl. And while everybody on the inside, verse 17, think they're rich, Jesus says, you're poor. And while everybody on the inside in the last days is thinking they've got it all together spiritually and have need of nothing, Jesus says, you're wretched. And while everybody on the inside is convincing themselves that they're living the good life, Jesus says that all of that being increased with goods is just masking the fact that you're actually miserable. And while all the Christians in the last days in Laodicea think that they see it so well and have such a proper biblical perspective of what's really going on in the last days, Jesus says, you're actually blind as a bat. And while Christians in the last days think they've clothed themselves with all kinds of good works, Jesus says, you're actually naked. And it will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ as we make our entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Wow. You talk about thinking you're one place when you're really at another. That's the way that Jesus describes the Christianity in our time. To which I say, to which I say, whoa. And Jesus gives us his counsel. 
I need some counseling. Okay. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You think you're rich. You, you, you better get that straightened out. Buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You think you're clothed. Man, buy white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes that you think you see so well with. Anoint them with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, above all of the chatter about how good we're doing, watch this now, and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And again, I want to say to you, historically, the thing that flung that door open in the Philadelphian period was the people taking their King James Bible that God had given to them and holding fast, as Paul said, to sound words and falling in love with the God of the Word through the pages of the Word of God that they held in their hands and they fell in love with. And I believe, y'all, what this passage is trying to say is that we open the door doing the same thing that opened the door in the Philadelphian period. Listen. By getting our confidence back in this book, by getting our hands wrapped around the authoritative book that God has supernaturally entrusted to us, and not just getting our hands wrapped around it, y'all, but our hearts so that we fall in love with the precious and pure words that God has entrusted to us. And may I say, and humbly so, to those of us who comprise the Living Faith Fellowship, may God give us Philadelphian pastors and Philadelphian churches filled with Philadelphian people because we believe and we receive and we embrace and we preach a Philadelphian Bible even in the Laodicean age.